Well, good morning, everybody. Happy weekend, Haley. Happy weekend. <laughs> I used to say happy Saturday, which yes. I really liked, but now we're airing on the east side of the state. On Sunday. On Sunday. So I don't want to record the intro twice, <laughs> right? Once I produce it gold. so funny, though. Yeah, it does. Happy weekend. Happy weekend. Well, I could say miserable weekend to everybody out there, but that's not my way. Who wants to start the weekend? Nobody does. We all, well, we do from time to time. We start our weekends that way. But here on this show, I'm at least faking it and wishing the happy weekend to everybody. Anyway, you're listening to the Repco Light Home Improvement Show, sponsored by Benjamin Moore. And on the show this week, we're going to be talking about our Christmas contest. Of course. Another chance to enter that at the end of the show today. Yeah, we launched it last week. We've got a new question for the week that will get you entered. Yep. Win good stuff. We'll tell you about it. But you're going to have to hang to the end of the show. We're also going to be talking about ceiling medallions and honestly, a really interesting Victorian design idea. Yeah. That's crazy interesting. They had a concept that we're going to get to that I think is it's really, gold. yeah, it's gold. And it, it can be applied to every single person out there's their Absolutely. home and what you do with it. Uh, and I'd never heard of it before. Haley found it. I think it's great. So we're going to talk about that. that. Yeah, she's very proud of herself, and <laughs> we'll find out if, if she has the right to be as we start uncovering that. Right now, well, soon, we're going to talk about bathroom paint mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and, and some issues and some interesting stuff and some solutions, blah, blah, blah. But first, before we get to all of that, yeah, I quickly, I think, Haley, that I've told you this story, and I'll try to really, really abbreviate it, but I had such a terrible week with social interactions this week. <laughs> it was absolutely horrible. Now, you know what I'm like socially. Yeah. On the radio, I'm like like a god with a little uh, G, right? Like just... You are meant for radio. As opposed to video? Is that... Are you making that kind of statement? Or are you saying that I'm cut out for something that can be edited, tweaked, and re-recorded <laughs> and polished before it's released to the public? Let's not go into what I meant Okay, that. okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Not sure what to do that. But yes, I'm terrible with social interactions. You're I'm a, a tad I'm a awkward. Mess. Yeah. And I ended up having to go to uh, a, a, the UPS store to to return a package. And so I'm standing in line with this huge box and there's a lady who's you know doing something. She's shipping a package as well and yes. I'm just paying attention to what she's doing and I was very intrigued and she seemed very nice and happy on a Saturday morning. It was unboxed, morning. right? There, no yeah. box to yeah. it. Right. So I thought, wow, I didn't know I could do that. Anyway, she starts to leave, and I want to make space for her because I'm in this area with a big box. And all I needed to do was just take a quick sidestep and turn. Instead, I thought I was I – th- I don't know what I was thinking. No, if I was being you funny. You did like the Monty Python silly walk kind of step to oh, the right. I locked <laughs> eyes with her, and then I slid to the right with this huge – you know, as far as my legs would stretch. Yeah, exactly. Step. And she stopped in the walkway and just stared at me. And I realized I just conveyed that I think you're diseased. Or and I'm going to get that far away from like you. Like there's something wrong. Oh, not what I meant at <laughs> all. She leaves. And I'm thinking, now I'm on this train track that's going to lead to nowhere. So I go to the counter and I'm thinking about that experience and why did I do that? And I did all right with the person at the counter. I handled that pretty well. Then I'm leaving the building and I'm, I get to the door and a gentleman pulls it open. It's a, you know, he's outside. He pulls it open so he can get in. And I thought he was holding it open for me because he yeah. just paused for a second. Yeah. 
And so I start barging through. And then I realized he just had a bunch of packages and couldn't get through. So he's kind of trying to get through. He sees me almost bump into him. And he's looking at me like, what is <laughs> what wrong with doing? you? Right. So then I back up. And then I'm trying to reach the door, but it's a push door. So there's nowhere to touch it without yeah. touching him. I could push him against the door <laughs> and open it. So we're dancing like that. And then he just steps back like, okay, loser, go through the door. <laughs> so then I plow through the door. And then a lady thought he was opening the door for her when he stepped back. So I plowed into her with her packages. So then, thinking I was going to save this interaction, I said, all right, people. (laughs) My people. Why do I address them like that? All right, people. I'll hold the door open for everybody. So I did. They all moved through. And then, without even thinking, I looked at them as they're walking in. And, of course, they're looking back at me like, what is this guy doing? And I said, thank you to all of those people. So then they felt obligated to say thank you to me. Then I turned around, banged into one more person, an elderly woman, and I got the biggest customer service grin that I know how to have on my face. It was just a knee-jerk reaction. And I said, good morning, and how are you today? And that poor lady (laughs) looked at me, and she said, I'm okay, and then walked into the building. I slunk my way to my truck and drove to my next interaction. Anyway, social skills are not my thing. Let's talk about bathroom paint. I ran into a DIY DIY forum online. Right. And somebody was writing to the resident expert about a weird paint problem that they were encountering in In a bathroom. bathroom. It was uh, a mother whose daughter had just bought a house and the bathroom had been painted relatively recently. But every time they ran the shower, there was a silvery, almost like slimy substance that she said was oozing from the walls. Loved it. She word the, yes. used the word oozing. It was great. And that there was, you know, slimy. <laughs> it's very descriptive. Isn't yeah. It? Uh, but the person writing asked if it was from wallpaper paste. She wasn't sure if the bathroom had been previously wallpapered and right. maybe that was coming through this painted bathroom. Wallpaper paste can cause a problem if it's left on the walls. And she knew that, but she didn't know exactly what it could do. So Mm -hmm. she thought, is that it? Right. So she sent that question in to the resident expert there. And the resident expert came back with, absolutely, it's wallpaper paste causing that. And then they went into how to fix that problem. Well, the thing is, it's not wallpaper paste. No, it's not. It's something called surfactant leaching. Yep. And it's a pretty common problem in really high moisture areas. Surfactants are a necessary ingredient in paint. uh, So we want them there. But usually they just work their way out of the paint over time and don't cause any issues with our surfaces. However, when a newly painted wall is exposed to high humidity. Right. Then these surfactants can rise prematurely to the surface and they show up on that painted area on the on your wall looking like orange, brown, or sometimes silvery. silvery. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Slimy, soapy substances. Yep. Which is, I mean, exactly what it is. It is soap, essentially. Right. Now, it's not pretty, but it's not damaging to your paint. That's right. the good part. So that's what was really going on in that situation. Absolutely. And it's really, really common. So if you've ever seen that in your bathroom, and if you haven't, Go take a look and you'll thank me later because if you find it, now you won't be able to unsee it. (laughs) Well, and sometimes it's not very clearly a color. You know, it might not look distinctly amber or silver, any of that. It might just look like some shiny runs that are on the walls. Yeah. And you might just think it's, you know, from the steam, which it is, but it is that surfactant leaching. Yep. And now you know that and you'll never be able to get that out of your head and you'll be really (laughs) frustrated till you get it taken care of. And the good news is to fix that problem when it's happening, it's pretty easy. You really just need to clean 
the surface. You know, right. Wipe them off with a soft sponge, some mild soapy water. If it's fresh or new paint, reasonably new paint, be a little bit gentle. Yep, you don't want to damage exactly. that finish. But you wipe it off. It'll come right off. The paint itself isn't damaged at all. And you might just have to keep doing that until they eventually disappear, and they will. Right, exactly. You might still see these come back over time, you know, if the bathroom gets re-steamed. But... It's going to run out eventually, but, yeah. so you just keep cleaning it off. It's not fun, but it can be dealt with, right. and that's how you deal with it. Another way to work around it or to help alleviate the problem, minimize the problem, would be to run the bathroom fan if you've got one or install one if you don't have a working one. Yes. So if you've got a fan, run it. You should leave it on for about 10 to 20 minutes after the shower right. to remove the moisture. Which I think is what people maybe get wrong sometimes. You know, They run it while they're in the shower, and then they don't necessarily keep it running once they leave the bathroom, and that part's key. Yeah, my kids like to flip it on. If they flip it on, <laughs> it never goes off. Oh, right? Just like the lights. <laughs> right. Any door that they open is <laughs> just cupboard. permanently yeah. open until I bang into it and, and close it. But leave it running for that 10 to 20 minutes. Open the bathroom doors yes. as soon Air after the shower as possible. If you don't have a fan, get one. Yeah, it's really important. And getting the right fan for your bathroom is even more important, right? These aren't just one size fits all. Uh, you said that there's a formula that you have, Dan, for finding the it's, right bathroom Yeah, fan. that makes it sound really, really smart, but okay. it's really, really basic. <laughs> Fans are rated by cubic feet per minute, CFMs. Okay. And it's basically how much air they can move in a minute. That That's why sense. they do it that way. So you want to get a fan that moves one CFM per square foot of your bathroom. So if you have an 80-square-foot okay. bathroom, you're going to need a fan with an 80 CFM rating That's to be easy. effective. Pretty okay. easy. So... That's dealing with the problem. Let's talk about avoiding the problem entirely, which is really good. Right. <laughs> and here you want to use the right paint. Aura Bath & Spa from Benjamin Moore is what we really feel is the ideal bathroom paint. There's really no other reason to use any other bathroom paint. Right. It's got a formula that really resists moisture. It's meant for this situation. And they've been able to perfect this formula to the point where they can put a matte finish in a bathroom now. So I think most of us are used to satin walls or maybe even semi-gloss walls existing in a bathroom or a bath and spa just comes in matte. It's that effective at dealing with moisture. Yeah. And that's great because a lot of the times you can keep that bathroom looking like the finish on all the other walls in your home. The colors are richer and deeper. They, they are viewed that way, I guess yes. I should say. Matte finish lets you just see the true color. Right, because you kind of get to soak into the color a little bit. You're not seeing the sheen. You're just seeing the color, which is a big difference between those high sheens and a matte finish. So that's Aura Bath & Spa, and usually we'd say that's the <laughs> silver bullet in the bathroom. That will solve all of your bathroom problems. You right. won't have surfactant leaching or any of those things. However... I said usually, and we have an interesting caveat before we wrap this up. Haley's got a bathroom situation that's ridiculous with bath and spa and yeah. a little bit of surfactant leaching. I What's going on? a tiny bit of surfactant leaching. I painted with Aura Bath and Spa a couple years ago, and I haven't had any problems. Um, previous to about maybe a few months ago, we've had a working bathroom fan, and so we've always run that. Well, with it being cold and flu season and having a six-month-old in daycare, our household has been sick a lot this fall and winter, and we've been using the bathroom as basically a sauna. <laughs> Cranking up the shower, we've filling it with steam. Filling it with steam. You know, I can't take any cold medicines right now because I'm breastfeeding, and so I can't, and so that's been my solution. I'm just going to sit in a super steamy bathroom for as with long no as possible. With no working fan. <laughs> 
And you've got that situation, and you finally started to notice there is still, even on the Aura Bath and Spa, a little bit of surfactant leaching. Yeah, and this is the most extreme situation, right? And I'm sure that some of us are in the same boat. We like to steam up our bathroom when we're sick. You know, it offers great relief. So just keep in mind that you've got to run the fan still. You've got to air it out in there because not only is it going to cause issues with your paint, but mold and mildew, all of those things can form as well. So keep a healthy environment. Make sure you have a working bathroom fan and use Aura Bath and Spa. Now, when are you getting a working bathroom fan installed? As soon as possible? As soon as possible. (laughs) All right. All right. Aura Bath and Spa Usually, yes. almost always, a silver bullet, unless you're in a ridiculous situation. Unless you're Haley. Check it out. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about ceiling medallions. And then later, we'll have more info on our Christmas contest. Yep. That's all next. Stick around. Well, Haley, it's time to talk about ceiling medallions. You're listening to the Repco Light Home Improvement Show, sponsored by Benjamin Moore. And I'm sure everybody is just chomping at the bit for this. Ceiling medallion. Well, they know it's a Haley topic, so yes, they are, Dan. Oh, really? You think so? (laughs) I don't want to do that poll because I don't want to find out. I don't want to have to work with you if it turns out. If you like Haley topics, email us at radio at (laughs) repcolite.com. Oh, man. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, I forgot. You have power to do that, too, don't you? (laughs) Ceiling medallions. Win them over, Haley. Why is this such a great topic? Uh, well, we're going to get into all the reasons they might exist and some of the history of them and sure. some design theories that they actually bring up. But first, I just want to explain what they are because maybe not everyone is picturing what a ceiling medallion is. And we're talking about that center kind of carved disc that would be in the center of a ceiling, typically under a chandelier or some hanging light fixture. Right? Under? Above? above? Depends well. on how you're looking at it. <laughs> If you're looking upside yes. down, it could look like it's under. We know what you mean. It's hanging about. from the medallion. Right. The medallion's on the ceiling, yes. which is why we call them ceiling medallions. <laughs> and everything below the ceiling is below the ceiling medallion. Right? So we can pick them up at all over the place. You oh, yeah. These I little mean, resin things. Yeah. We think of them in old homes as plaster. But you know, today, if you're installing one, most likely it's going to be plastic. It's really inexpensive to install these now. It's really easy. So kind of an interesting thing to talk about. And right now, we pretty much use these, I would think, exclusively for design purposes, decorative purposes. Right. I think, you Just know, recreating, look. you know, something that looks historic or replacing something that was damaged in a mm-hmm. historic home with something more updated. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah. why we're using them. But was that always the case? Is that yeah, always the what they question. were for? Or not. There's a lot of mythology around yeah. ceiling medallions, it turns out. So let's take a deep dive into history. And when we do that, we see that while there are many historians, mm-hmm. probably most would admit that the ceiling medallions were decorative, at least in part of their purpose. Right. Part of their purpose was for sure decorative. A lot of historians will say that. But there's also a whole group and yeah. a lot of people. A lot of people. Want to find this practical purpose for their use specifically in Victorian times. Right. Which I find slightly strange. I, yeah, we'll talk about that more, but right. yeah, it's definitely strange. So first, let's look at some of these practical reasons that historians believe ceiling medallions were used in Victorian times. That's what we're trying to solve here. Why did the Victorians use them? Was yeah. it just for decor or was it something else? Well, they want to find these practical reasons. Yeah. And the first theory around it was they want to hide the soot 
That's the first theory. Yeah. So with candles being used to light homes and then eventually, you know, gas lighting, the constant open flames caused soot to collect on the ceilings above the chandelier where it hung in the center of the room. So according to, you know, proponents of this theory, this was to hide unsightly soot. Yeah, I've got this big black spot on the ceiling. What should I do about that? I don't know. Let's put some decorative plaster up We'll make it a feature. (laughs) <laughs> and then never use that light again, right? right? That's the problem with this theory. Yeah, it doesn't the make a lot of sense. The still going to collect up there, right. and now you've got a textured surface. Yeah. And we all know that those are more fun to clean than just a smooth, flat surface. Exactly. So to me, I don't think theory one really holds a lot hold, of water. Exactly. Thus comes about theory number two, the disguise the soot theory. Mm-hmm. So there's this other group of people who acknowledge that the what soot's going to be said. visible. Right, right. <laughs> but they still like soot as the, the reason for these discs yeah. or one of them. And so they argue that, yes, they put the, the disc up there mm-hmm. and, yes, the soot's going to collect to it, but it's actually just going to accentuate all the of the carving. little carving. Yes. It'll settle into the grooves. And so then it'll shadow it and almost make it more attractive because it'll create depth. Yeah, right? people are going to wonder, how are you getting all that soot up on yours? Because mine does not have the depth <laughs> and the filth layer that yours does, right? Yeah, I don't really have a theory. problem with that theory. It makes some sense to me. It seems a little bit strange. Yeah. I, I can't poke a hole in it, though, yeah. other than it's a little strange. Right. Another theory, the third theory, the flame resistance theory. Mm-hmm. You know, and this one's kind of interesting. I like it. As technology advanced and economics improved, more people could afford medallions. And on top of that, the ceiling height began to decrease. And so what that means is that your chandelier and other ceiling-mounted light fixtures are closer to the ceiling. Right. So that flame is closer. And now there's a greater fire hazard. Mm-hmm. So to fix that, according to these proponents of this theory, the ceiling medallion comes in. You know, that circular plaster design provided an extra layer of fire resistance directly above the light. Right, because we've talked about in the past how plaster is actually very fire resistant. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. There's some 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 ideas there that I kind of like. However, there is a problem. While many medallions in the Victorian era were made of plaster or cast iron, mm-hmm. they were also commonly made of paper mache. Yeah, so that's totally out. <laughs> so if you're going to use it for flame resistance, you really want to make sure you're getting what you're, what you're asking uh... for and check out what you're buying. You got to ding it a little bit. If it makes a thud or it crumbles away like plaster, you're probably okay. But if it's paper, don't use it for that. How about theory four? The hide my mistakes theory. Yeah, I mean, I think this makes a lot of sense potentially. It's very practical uh, and relatable. Here's the concept. When you cut holes in drywall, you know, for example, for a receptacle box or to hang a light fixture, it's not perfect and you've got to patch that. So people potentially would just put up a ceiling medallion. Yeah, I really messed that up. Oh, let's get a ceiling medallion. <laughs> Not only does it look beautiful, it covers my mistakes. Exactly. Maybe. I don't know. Four practical theories. We've got another theory, and we're going to get to that on the other side, and that's going to really get us into the entire topic we want to dig into. Right. That's all next. Stick around. And we're back. You're listening to the Repco Light Home Improvement Show, sponsored by Benjamin Moore. I'm Dan Hansen. I'm here with Haley Johnson. We we never introduce ourselves. That's Radio 101. We're supposed to introduce ourselves at the beginning of the show. It really speaks to who we are as people. <laughs> you know what? We're right. You're right. We are that humble. Right? I have always told myself I'm one of the most humble people I know. Now I've got evidence. 
<laughs> that goes right in line. Yeah. Yeah. I I am one of the most well, humble people. <laughs> no, I didn't say the most okay. because I'm humble. <laughs> anyway. You know who we are now. I've told you. You're yes. listening to the Repcolite Home Improvement Show. I think I said that. We're talking about ceiling medallions. Right. And last segment, we're, we're getting into the history of it. But last segment, we kind of talked about some theories about why the Victorians had them. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they date predate the Victorians, but we were... They really caught out. on in homes during that era because right. they were so much more affordable and easy to access. So, yeah. So we were wondering, why did they come about? Lots right. of people wonder why they came about. There's a lot of and myths. And... They, they proposed the ideas that they were decorative, yeah, but they were also practical. And, and I thought that was strange. Maybe not strange. To me, it was a little strange. We were always trying to find all these historians are trying to find a practical, a practical reason. reason for them. And maybe yeah. it existed. We went through all of those or a number of them. We kind of think there's a fifth theory that's possible and it's the maybe they just looked good and that's it theory. Exactly. Maybe there wasn't a practical right. purpose driving this. I'm not sure why they felt the need to really find a purpose other than that for a ceiling medallion. But I don't know either. I do think that's interesting that yeah. that was the quest. But we think it's possible that they just look good. And we've got a reason for that. A lot of reasons. Yes. And now we're going to get into the history. Ceiling medallions. These go way back. The, oh, these yeah. were decorative They've... elements on ceilings. In ancient cultures, like the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans. Yep. And all of them made use of the medallions in a decorative manner, right? So these were to adorn buildings, whether it was a temple or a public space or a palace. And they were primarily there to add beauty and say something important. You know, they had religious significance and they told a story. Told the story of the gods or mythical creatures. They added a sense of grandeur to the architecture. Exactly. They definitely weren't there in the early times for a practical reason, (laughs) right? right? We're not carving marble for practicality Oh, I messed up the marble here. What are we going (laughs) to, let's put a medallion right Right. there. That'll cover up Uh, my mistake. You know what? What if that is the case and we're that wrong? That's okay. That would we're be not, funny. We're not historians. We're hacks, and we admit that. I think we've got good ideas. We're good hacks. Yeah. Anyway, so that's ceiling medallions being used in ancient times. Right. Well, now let's transition to the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. Right, because there was a huge revival during the Renaissance and a renewed interest in the ceiling medallions. Because right? in the Middle Ages, it all kind of dropped exactly. off. Exactly. Well, they like had everything flags did. and things to worry about. <laughs> You know, you would think, though, with so many people laying in bed, staring at the ceilings, they would have spent more time at least making those ceilings look good. (laughs) But it wasn't really prime on their list. They had other (laughs) things to worry about, you know, getting the dead out to the carts and stuff like that. Pretty dark on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning, whenever this airs. Anyway, it kind of wanes in the Middle Ages. Mm -hmm. But then, like Mm -hmm. Haley said, the Renaissance comes about and it redawns, it resurges. You know, there's an interest in classical art and classical architecture and all of that comes up and it really starts to take off. And now they're they're showing, you know, in these designs, in the carvings of them, the relief work, we're seeing, again, classical mythology, biblical biblical narratives. Still, but also now we're seeing the lives of prominent individuals displayed in a story form on those medallions as well. You know, that became a big thing. Yeah, the Dan Hansons and the Haley's of the day (laughs) were carved into those relief, uh, carved in relief into those, don't you think? These were big money people, Dan. (laughs) Like, uh, better than us? Is that what you're saying? Potentially, yeah. Okay. Well, we are (laughs) humble, so we acknowledge that there might be, that could be the case. But anyway, prominent 
individuals yes. carved into these. That's the Renaissance era. Now let's get to the Victorian era. Right. Because here we see a significant milestone in the history of sealing medallions. And we kind of hinted at it in the last segment. Well, Basically, they really kind of blow up during this time. Like everyone wants them, right? Right. In that regard. Yeah. It's not like they were boot trapped no. or something <laughs> like that. Now there's advancements in technology. Yes. So they could make them out of different things and make them a little more accessible. Right. The middle class, the rise of the middle class. You yeah, know, it's a huge part of more it. More people can afford these things. And all of a sudden, ceiling medallions, they're more accessible, they're more affordable, and people are all over it. So they yes. blow up in that regard, yes. in popularity. <laughs> they're not booby trapped. Right. So during this yeah. time, they were crafted out of a number of different things, inexpensive materials, cast iron. Right. I we mean, I don't know. Plaster. Well, right, we did. I want to camp on cast iron for a minute. <laughs> I'm c- it is a funny material for a ceiling. Right. I'm curious yeah. how thick that was because all cast iron I'm affiliated or familiar with. Like a pan. With, you know, even just a pan is heavy. <laughs> I never use it because I always pull it out and it slams to the floor because it's so heavy. Yes. Imagine mounting that under the ceiling. Where, right? We've got this heavy thing. It took 12 people to haul into the house. Where did you want this again? <laughs> right over the table. <laughs> you don't see that as a problem? Uh. Yeah, it sounds like a Looney Tunes kind of skit. Yeah, you know, like there's an if, anvil that's going to drop on someone's head. I'm assuming I'm missing something in the translation there, but I like my version of reality and yes. I'm going to keep it. So anyway, cast iron, <laughs> ceiling medallions hanging over your head, just okay. waiting to fall. But they used other materials as well. Yeah, we talked about plaster. We also mentioned paper mache was an accessible material for people. That's light. And if it falls, it's going to kind of just flutter down to your table. Maybe ignite in your candles. But hey, no big deal there. The designs in the era, they included floral patterns, geometrical shapes. A lot of filigree work, you know, very floral looking. So we can attribute a lot of the popularity to the access that everyone's gaining to having these in their home. And having more money to work with and stuff like that. But it's more than that. Yeah, it's way more than that because the Victorians were fascinated with embellishment ornamentation. To the Victorians, good design meant no surface was left out. Everything needed to be connected. And two surfaces that were meeting were seen as a relationship forming. They were very, you know... So like the walls meeting the ceilings. Exactly. The walls meeting each other even. You know, you've got corner bead and all of these moldings that are really meant to ease or soften these transitions and kind of make the introduction for these two surfaces that are meeting. Right. Now, we talked at the very beginning of the show about a a Victorian era design concept that I thought was so interesting. And we're getting to it right now. This is the money moment of this entire show, (laughs) except for the contest (laughs) stuff at the end. But Haley found a really good article. No, it was not a good article. It had a good quote. (laughs) It was a terrible article. It was terribly written. Yes. It was really, really hard to read. But it had a great quote. And it gave us great insight into Victorian design and and how they thought about things. Right, exactly. And since you found it, Haley, go ahead and read it. So the Victorians imposed order on their interiors, seeing them as a complete story with a beginning, which is the floor, middle being the walls, and an ending, which is the ceiling. They were boxes with a bottom, sides, and top, all united by colors and patterns. And I love this. Absolutely love it. Love the idea of a space as a story. Right. You know, the floors where, you know, the story gets started. The walls, that's where we're really telling our story. Mm-hmm. And the ceiling, that's the, the ending, ending of the story. And that's how they looked at it. And I, it makes perfect sense as you look at Victorian era houses Absolutely. that are painted in a historically accurate manner. Right. Or wallpapered or, you know, still have a lot of the original elements because they were so concerned with all of these 
points being connected right. and telling the same story. And just the thought that goes into the design. Right. You know, I, and, and, so much intention. Right. And we're going to get to that at the end. But I just a lot of the times we don't even think about the ceilings. Mm-hmm. That was not how they worked there. They yeah. were thinking about the whole space exactly. as a story. So let's get back to our original question, what we started maybe a segment ago asking. And basically we were asking, why did the Victorians bring these ceiling medallions back? Why did they become so popular during that era? And we had all these practical reasons that we were throwing out. After we present all of that, I really think the simplest answer is the best. It's really all about the look and the story. It's They're using them, the Victorians are, in the same manner and for the same reasons that the Greeks, the Egyptians, and the Romans did, just to tell that story. Exactly, because all of them, that was kind of a common thread through the history of medallions, was it was all about helping that space tell a story. You know, we talked about the religious motifs, the mythology that was carved into these medallions. It was all about storytelling. Now, none of the earlier ones, here's the one flaw with our little simplification and our theory that Mm -hmm. we come up with. All of the other ones, the older ones, the ancient Greeks and all of that, they weren't hanging light fixtures from them. So the fact that we're hanging a light fixture, I do see where we're getting this connection to a practical reason behind it. Right. My gut is that it was less about using the ceiling medallion to solve any practical problem and more about, wow, that's a really great place to hang a light from. Yeah, the center of the the room. Centerpiece, right. Right. Draws your attention to the chandelier, the light fixture, or whatever. But I don't think it was to solve these practical things that people suggested. That's my take. And again, the light fixture, you know, if it is a hanging light fixture, now it's meeting the ceiling. So that's another one of those transition points. You know, you've, you've got these two surfaces that are meeting. And like we talked about, the Victorians were very concerned with making that introduction softened and really calling attention to it. So I think, again, the ceiling medallion is one of those transitions for them, just like the corner molding was. Yeah, so that's what we're thinking on that. How about this? You know, why did this stop? Why did we stop decorating the ceilings? Why right. did we stop worrying about ending the story? Right. When do you think that happened and why? Well, I would think that it stopped, you know, when we started being more interested in simplifying design, right? I think we got maybe oversaturated in the Victorian era and that's when Craftsman House is coming about. And to us, those are, you know, highly ornamented in comparison to some of the more modern homes still. But it was a huge to them, step simpler than Yeah, it was very Victorian contemporary. Stuff. It was straight lines and simplified and not as much floral, you know, filigree. And there wasn't all of these carvings anymore. And so I think you did see a lot of this stuff go away. And then... As time goes on, ceiling heights are lowered. And so now having something on the ceiling is maybe less attractive or it doesn't see, need to be there. For me, with my height, doesn't matter. <laughs> but I can see how normal people putting that extra chunk up there really makes things feel close. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can't really get the scope of it when your ceiling well, is right. pretty low. Well, right. Yeah, you can't low. take quite the step back that you could before. Yeah, I think the whole thing, it's, it's like wallpaper. Wallpaper was so big. You know, 80s and so. And it was right. everywhere. Yeah. And then everybody was sick of seeing it everywhere. Yeah. And I think that was, that's what happened. We were sick of seeing decoration on every surface. Yeah. Let's simplify. I mean, that's why trends happen, right? Exactly. You know, we fall in and out of things. The pendulum swings back and forth. <laughs> so that's why it went away. That's when it went away. And now I want to get into some practical stuff that we can do. You know, I love the idea that your house is a story. Yeah. With a beginning, a middle, and an end. Let's talk about how we can practically apply that, but I don't think we have time in this segment. Sure. 
I'd like to take a break, and then we'll be back in a little bit to finish this conversation with some practical ideas. Well, it's perfect for an ending, right? It is. And then, to make the ending even better, we'll give out the big clue for our Christmas contest. That's all next. Stick around. Well, Haley, it's time to finish this great big long, which feels almost like an eternal discussion (laughs) about sealing medallions, and then get to... Christmas contest stuff, because right. that's what people are waiting for, right? I mean, they're probably waiting for the end of the story right now, but yeah, I mean, they yeah. probably want to win $500, too. Exactly. <laughs> You're listening to the Repcolite Home Improvement Show. I'm Dan Hansen. I'm Haley Johnson. You're with Haley, and yeah, we just finished discussing the Victorian-era use of ceiling medallions, and we really focused on a Victorian-era design idea that saw the whole house as a story. You know, the floors were the beginning. The walls are the middle. Ceilings are the end. It was a great concept. I really, really like that. And yeah, I think, I think there's a lot here that we can apply. Right. So with that in mind, that's what we want to do in this last little segment is really talk about what we can do in our homes to really get a great ending for our space. Like like we just said, they saw the ceilings, the Victorians did, as the end of the story. And stories don't just fizzle out, not good yeah. ones. Well, and but that is kind of what's happening now in you know, most right. people's design within their home is my the ceiling story is just bare. In my home is just a real dud. <laughs> the way that ended. Someone just forgot and stopped yeah, writing. Yeah, the people just walk out of the theater. <laughs> what did we just watch? We have no idea. Don't let your home end its story like that. Right. So how can we do that? How can we make our ceilings really jump out or have I mean, something to say? Number one, we talk about it all the time, is you know, paint on the ceiling doesn't just have to be white. Putting a color up there can really add to the impact of the overall design in your home and end that story in a very intentional way. Right. And we're talking about intentionally putting color yes. up there. Not like you dropped a gallon of paint, it exploded. <laughs> Although it maybe that tells there. quite the story. <laughs> it would be a story. But yeah, Benjamin Moore has their um, premium waterborne ceiling paint. Yes. And it is absolutely perfect if you're going to go and put a color up there. A lot absolutely. of times, all we think about, generally speaking, mm-hmm. still are white ceilings. Right. And if that's the story you want to tell, well, it's your story. We want you to tell that too. And we've got other paints that will help you do that really well on the ceiling. Absolutely. This particular waterborne ceiling paint is great if you want to throw a color up there. And it's great because it stays dead flat no matter how much colorant we put in there. Right, which is rare for a ceiling paint. Typically, they only come in flat and they only come in white. And if you're going to add colorant to them, a lot of times we see the sheen level go up because of the colorant. That doesn't happen in the ceiling paint. Benjamin worked their magic once again, and we've got a really unique product to offer here. And you can put any color on your ceiling. And yeah, incredible impact. You know, that will really help you end that story really well. What about changing the finish on the ceiling? You mentioned that, generally speaking, it's flat. It's right. flat for practical reasons. It is. As well as aesthetic, but I think the practical trumps the aesthetic here. At least if you're going to be doing it yourself. You know, I think flat is really DIY friendly and, you know, professionals like it too because ceilings are not easy to apply things to and it hides some of those imperfections or mistake. Or if you have a texture on your ceiling, it reduces the impact of that texture overall. Right. The shinier you go, the more visible those imperfections are going to be, the mistakes are going to be, the texture is going to be. But maybe you have a perfectly smooth ceiling and you hire a professional and you want to finish the story by having a gloss ceiling. That would tell you something. Apparently, yes, it would. Apparently, that is a big trend. It is. A growing trend. Yep. 
and it blows my mind. <laughs> I do not like it. I do not want it. But that's the beauty of America. <laughs> you don't have to do what I like and what I want. I would say, though, this is not one of those just crank it out, it's your first project kind of a thing. Putting a gloss mm-hmm. on a ceiling Serious and getting business. those beautiful results that you're seeing on Instagram or wherever, mm-hmm. it takes work and it requires a surface that's ready and, right. and conducive for that kind of a thing. So before you jump in, don't run to the RepcoLite stores near you and tell them that the RepcoLite Home Improvement Show told you, get gloss for your ceiling, it's great. We're saying you can do it. Yes. But you'd really need to get some questions answered, talk to them about that. Absolutely. How about wallpaper, stenciling? Yeah. Those are options. Absolutely. I mean, so much impact at that point. You're really telling more of a narrative, potentially, if you've got some pattern on the ceiling. Right. And we've talked about it before. Allie Bride has been on the show. She's wallpapered her ceiling with a little bit of help. It's very possible. You know, she only got a little bit of glue in her hair. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Embossed ceiling tiles, that's another option. And of course, ceiling medallions. Like we talked about, if you're going to do anything on the ceiling, you do have to consider Mm -hmm. the height of the ceiling. That does create some limitations. If you've got nine foot or higher ceilings, a lot of these options are open to you. Yeah. If it's eight foot or even lower, if you live in a den or cave or Or we're talking about a basement or something. Right. You know, (laughs) then a lot of these things come off the table because it's just not going to work with such a low ceiling. But color is still an option. You can still put a color up there and still have great results. All right. I think that wraps it up for that, don't you? I think we've got to get to the contest. Let's get to the contest. So here's the deal. If you tuned in last week, you know about the contest. If you didn't, and I am a realist, I understand that not everybody tunes in every single week. So we'll give you a quick recap of what's going on. We started our Christmas contest last week. One winner is going to get a $500 gift card to RepcoLite, and then that winner is going to be able to give a $500 gift card to RepcoLite to a friend. Or a loved one. Or a loved one. And we'll cover that. We're not going to make you buy one to give it. We'll give you one to give away. And on top of that, that same winner is going to be able to pick a charity and RepcoLite will donate $500 in the winner's name to that charity. So you get to win and give and give. I mean, really, we're talking about a $1,500 prize here. So Yeah, you just don't get to keep all of it. You can't be the charity or the second. of giving. Right, exactly. So to enter the contest, you just need to go to RepcoLite.com. You click the banner on the homepage, and then we've got rules right there with an entry form. Now, the way it works is you really just need to answer a question that we've got on the entry form. We'll have four different questions, one for every week. Yep, We'll go through December 23 and 24. But, yeah, you just go there and answer the question. Now, this week's question is, what is Haley's favorite Christmas cookie? See, and that, yes. So there we've got that. Now, what is Haley's favorite Christmas cookie? Mm -hmm. What kind of question is that? (laughs) It's a complicated question. And that's what you'll find when you go to the website and you find the entry form. You'll find the rules. You'll see the entry form with that question. Question two, what is Haley's favorite cookie? And then we'll have a little video clip that will give you a little bit of a clue. clue, right, to the answer. But that clue is not going to be that great. No, the best it's a complicated clues, clue. The best clues are on this show right now. So I'm going to play the clue. What is Haley's favorite cookie? Christmas cookie. Yes, Christmas cookie. Here's the clue. You're a monster. I've tried to be fair to you creatures. <laughs> now my patience has reached its end. Tell me or I'll... No, not the buttons. Not my gumdrop buttons. Not my gumdrop buttons. That's got to <laughs> help somebody figure out what kind of cookie... Is your favorite favorite. Christmas cookie. Yeah. All right. Head to RepcoLite.com. Answer that question. 
and you'll be entered again into the contest and then tune in next week for more clues to the next questions. Okay, that's all the time we've got. We're going to have to wrap it up. If you want to catch it again, you can find it online at repcolite.com. Whatever you do today, have a great one. I'm Dan Hansen. I'm Haley Johnson. Thanks for listening. 